morning we're going to finish our uh, Advent series uh, in First John. We've been in First John the last couple of Sundays, and we've talked about um, the first Sunday. We talked about God being light. In in First John, God uh, John declares God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And then we see in in, in chapter four that God is love. God is love and God manifested his love for us and sending his son into the world so that we might live through him. So that Jesus would become the propitiation for our sins and, and take the penalty of our sins. And so this morning I would like for us to, to focus on the purpose of Advent. The purpose of Advent. We've talked about what Advent means. Every week we mention how Advent means the appearing or arrival uh, of Jesus, and, is, and that's what we're celebrating during this time of year. It comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means arrival or appearing, right? And so one of the challenges that I, I gave you all um, as we uh, journeyed through 1 John is to, to read through 1 John and look for purpose statements about the Advent. Why did Jesus come into this world? Why did Jesus come into this world? And so we're going to look at, a, at three of those this morning. Um, and and my, my big idea is simply this, that God sent Jesus into the world to save us from our sins and free us to live in his love. God sent Jesus into this world to save us from our sins and to free us to live in his love. But before we talk about the purpose of Advent anymore, uh, let me just talk a little bit about the problem with Christmas. Now, first of all, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love so many things about Christmas. I love the parties. I love the cookies. I love the, the hymns. I love the, the Christmas caroling. I love the decorations and the 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 ugly sweaters and all that stuff, right? I love the gift giving and gift receiving. It's, it's fun, right? But what I, what I don't like about Christmas is getting to the end of December and being worn out, having spent money where I didn't need to spend money and not set healthy boundaries for how I used my time and get to the end of the, 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 the year and just feel worn out like, man, what did I do this December? I just let the current of the culture just bring me through the busyness of this season. And, and I didn't say no enough. And, and so I just, I think back to when I was a, a, a new, new Christian and, um, and, and I just, I wanted to give lots of gifts. And I remember racking up my credit card and going into debt so that I can give gifts to people to express love, which is, which is not a bad thing to give gifts. Right, but it's not healthy to like rack up your credit card to give gifts to folks that may not even need them or, or and some not even want them, right? I did a Google search and and, and looked up <clears throat> I looked up what's according to the experts, what's the what's the appropriate amount to spend on a friend for a gift? Okay? Just so y'all know, the appropriate amount to spend on a friend for a gift, according to the experts, is fifteen to twenty five dollars. Okay? So, um, and Americans, Americans are expected to spend between 
942 to 960 billion dollars during the holiday season. The average American, or actually 37%, plan to spend about a thousand dollars, and 30% plan to spend between 250 and 999 dollars. Now, again, I'm I have no I'm I'm not against shopping and I'm not against gift giving, but I want to remind us as a church the purpose, the reason for the season, the purpose of Advent. So so early on in my marriage, in, in Kendall and I's marriage, we we have purpose to make the Christmas season meaningful and worshipful and to, to give pushback and resist the cultural pressures that just zap the life out of it and make it meaning less meaningful for us, right? Um, and so, we, we, so what, one of the things that has helped us is to, to think about this concept of Advent within the Christmas season, right? The, the concept that, that, that this is about Jesus, the Son of God, coming into the world to rescue us, to save us, to deliver us, to reconcile us to God and give us peace. And yet so many go through this season without peace, right? And we let the pressures, the cultural pressures, rob us of peace. This is about a season of joy, good news of great joy that was proclaimed that Christ the Savior is born. And yet we let the, the culture, the, the pressures, the social pressures and the culture, uh, the standards rob us of the joy that we could and should be experiencing during this season, right? Or despair. You know, there's so many people struggling with depression, and despair, and just pain during this season. This season has a way of not only magnifying the good gifts that we have in this life, such as family and all the, the blessings that God has provided for us, but it also has a way of magnifying the losses and the pains, and so many are struggling. And even this week, there was a celebrity, a dancer, who took their life, right? Many are, are struggling during this time, and, and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way of Jesus offers us the gift of hope during Advent as we celebrated the first Sunday. The gift of peace with God, as Andrew talked about, peace with one another in our relationships. The gift of Advent, of, of Jesus Christ coming into this world, offers us the gift of joy, as we, we talked about last week at the lighting of the candle. Um, and then the gift of love. And so these are four precious gifts that I think can counter the social pressures that are put on us, the cultural pressures that are put on us so that our Christmas season is not eclipsed by the things of this world. It's a sad thing when we let the things of this world eclipse our eclipse seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ and savoring Jesus for who he is and what he has done. And so, so church, as, as, as your pastor, I want you to be freed up this Christmas season, freed up to not give in to expectations that are not from God that are put on you that, that cause distress to your soul and wear you out. Okay, 
Jesus offers us an invitation to come and rest in him and take his yoke. And so here's what I see as one of the problems that the apostle Pon, the, the apostle John, not Pon, um, that was, that was a hybrid between Paul and John, the, the apostle Pon, the bread apostle, um, <laughs> all the Latinos got that one. Pon is bread. Um, if you would turn with me in, in your scripture to first John, or you can look up on the screen. And I think, I think this couple of verses that John gives to the churches are, are very relevant to us today in this season to counter, to counter the cultural pressures that are put on us and to, to, to respond in a biblical way to the current that we are now experiencing. I took my family went to go look at Christmas lights this past week and we stopped at North Park Mall to get some Chick-fil-A and stop in the Lego store and in North Park Mall we're just hit with the 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 current of what the world sees Christmas about stuff stuff right um so first John says this first John 2 uh, 15 through 17 he says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And so, so first of all, we need to clarify something here. When we read this, we need to first ask the question, when he says, do not love the world, what is he talking about here? Because we all know John 3.16, Raquel read it earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So this is the, John 3.16. Cosmos is referred to the people of this world, right? God loves the people of this world, and so should we. We talked about that last week. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Um, there's also the material world, which in and of itself is not evil. See, God, when Genesis 1 tells us, God, when God created everything, what did he say about his material creation? It was good, very good, right? So the physical material world is not evil in and of itself. And so, and then another way that John uses the Greek word cosmos, which means it's translated world, is the evil system. That's, that's, that's how he's describing the world's evil system and values that governs the people of this world who are not a part of the kingdom of God. That's what, that is exactly what he's talking about. In 1 John 5, 19, he says, we know that we are from God and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The whole world lies under the sway, the influence, the power of the evil one. But that's not true for us, Christians. 
We're, we're, we've been set free from the tyranny of Satan. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. So uh, one theologian, uh, Dr. Merrill Unger, says that in more than 30 important passages, the Greek word cosmos is employed in the New Testament to portray the whole mass of unregenerate men alienated from God, hostile to Christ, organized governmentally as a system or federation under Satan. This is the world that John is talking about. Okay, this worldly system. F.F. Bruce says this on these about these verses. He says, worldliness does not reside in things. But it does certainly reside in our concentration on things. If our affections, instead of being set on what is of permanent importance, are set on passing things that the heart desires, the eye delights in, or things that encourage us to have good conceit of ourselves, we are fearfully impoverished. If my reputation, my public image matters more to me than the glory of God or the well-being of my fellows, the pretentiousness of life has become the object of my idol worship. Sorry, that's a long quote. It's a mouthful. You can take a picture of it if you want to chew on that. But he's describing here the essence of worldliness that the Apostle John is addressing within the um, uh, warning the church against. And so a threat to our joy, a threat through uh, to us experiencing the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God this Christmas season is materialism. Over-concentration on stuff, right? Over-concentration on stuff rather than on the people, rather than on God. And on people. Now, I think stuff is a great way to express the, the things of the, um, giving gifts is a great way to express love to people, right? But it's not the only way, right? We don't have to spend more. We can spend less and give more to others. We can give more of our presence, more of our time, more of our talents. We're free to do that and we're free to give Purchase gifts and give gifts to express love to people as well. Um, so we're told in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, not to be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The Apostle John gives us a couple of different descriptions of what the world is in, in uh, verse 16. He says, whoop, going the wrong way. He says, he describes the world as this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, uh, one the New Living Translation translates the lust of the flesh as the the cravings of the sinful nature. What your flesh craves, the lust of the eyes is described as the tendency to be captivated by the outward show of things without inquiring into their real values. It will include the love of beauty divorced 
from the love of goodness, William Law says. And then the pride of life. I, I, I appreciate how the NIV and the NLT translates the pride of life. The pride of life is translated as boasting of what one has and what one does. So boasting in our accomplishments and boasting in our uh, possessions, the things that we have, the pride, the pride of life. And so John warns, warns against loving the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is a nice, sweet Christmas message, isn't, isn't it? As I was preparing, I was like, gosh, I just want to tell the story of Mary and Joseph. Right? You know? Um, but John, John gives us some really good content here to navigate through this Christmas season in a way that I think would honor God. And so he gives us some reasons here uh, not to love the world. First of all, the, the love of the world is incompatible with the love of the Father. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us, right? And also, the world is temporal. It's passing away and the lust of it. It's, it's shine and glimmer and glory is, is fading. It's passing away. But in the contrast is, but those who do the will of God in this world, in this created world, those who do the will of God abide forever. And we want to be those people who are committed to that, to prioritizing the will of God. Swimming upstream like salmon, going against the, the, the current of the worldly pressures. And so I think what, what can help us do that is to look at the very purpose of Advent. Now, we've talked a little bit about the problem. The problem of commercialized consumerism, materialism that, that leaves us less fulfilled and stressed out at the end of the season the first thing that, that I want to highlight from 1 John 3 is that the purpose of Advent is to take away our sins. The pur- purpose of Advent is to take away our sins. Chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a pra- practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So notice the purpose statement here. Jesus, the son of God, appeared to take away our sins. He appeared to, to he, the, the advent, the arrival of the Son of God into this world had a purpose and it was to take away our sins as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Even his name points to this reality that he's the Lord who saves. As the scripture we read earlier, uh, Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins by offering his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Having lived his life 33 years, never sinned, and dying in our place 
to forgive and remove every trace of sin in our lives. To set us free. He came to take away our sins. And he does this not only by becoming the substitute, the sacrifice for our sins, to wash them away and to forgive them, to pardon our sins, but also to give us power as born again children of God to be free from sin dominating our life and making us slaves to sin and Satan. Jesus came to not only bring forgiveness, but freedom. Not only to bring pardon, but power into our lives. And this gives us hope. This gives us hope. To the worst of sinners, this gives hope. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says that the Christmas message is that there is hope for ruined humanity. Hope for pardon. Hope for peace with God. Hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. This is what Christmas is about. This is what Advent is is about the coming, the arrival of the Son of God. Read a little little bit further, and we see another purpose of Advent, which is very similar, and there's definitely overlap within this one. Uh, Verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, Advent, was to destroy the works of the devil. I love this. Jesus came to make war on sin and Satan and destroy the oppressive works of the devil. And in this context, what he's talking about is is sin. The practice of sinning. The devil gets people into bondage by enticing them to sin and deceives them with sin and and destroys their lives, robs lives of peace, joy, love, purpose, vision through sin. And Jesus came to destroy that. And he did that through his finished work on the cross. He conquered the devil Disarm the principalities and powers, Colossians 2 tells us. And he paid for our sins so that the accuser of the brethren, that his pointing finger would no longer stick to our lives, that his, his condemning accusations would not stick to us because we are forgiven. We are free. We are now children, children of God. We're free not to continue practicing sin, not to live like the world lives with the preoccupation on the things of this world. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about your, 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 your life. Don't worry about your food and your clothing. Like, don't make that number one priority in, in trying to get those basic things that you need in life. Why? Because that's what the Gentiles do who don't know God. They're preoccupied with those things. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Our father is going to take care of us. 
And so this, I think this will be helpful for us as we focus on the purpose of Advent, that Jesus came to take away our sins, save us from our sins, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. Notice the, the manifold language there, the works of the devil, right? And so obviously sin and the practice of sinning is, is described as the works of the devil, but also deception, deception, the way that he uses deception to get people to sin and choose a life without God. Deception, disobedience, despair. John Stott says this, speaking of the works of the devil. Morally, his work is enticement to sin. Physically, the infliction of disease. Intellectually, seduction into error. He still assaults our soul, body, and mind in three ways. And Christ came to destroy his works. Destruction was a loosening as if these diabolical works were chains which were bound, which bound us. The devil is still busy doing his wicked works, but as, but he has been defeated. And in Christ, we can escape from his tyranny. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Acts 10.38 and Jesus, Jesus in action. Jesus in action described here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. The purpose of Advent of Jesus coming into this world, taking on flesh, was to destroy the works of the devil. And so let's give him no place in our lives. And notice that he has brought us victory through, through what Christ has done. He's brought victory over sin, victory over Satan, and victory over the world. Read through 1 John and note all the, the passages that speak about this victory that we have. And here's just a couple of them. Uh, victory over sin here. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, this is, this is a, an amazing verse here. This speaks about the powerful effects of regeneration, of being born again, of being brought into the family of God, and God changes who we are at the core. He changes our identity by grace, and we're, we're born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the mercy of God. We're, we're born again, and now we have a new trajectory in life where it's no longer characterized by practicing sin, but it's characterized by practicing righteousness, doing what's right, and loving people. This is what the children of God do. So he gives us victory over sin. And so this should give us hope, saints. This should give us hope not to throw our hands up and, and give up in those areas of our lives that we know are dishonoring to God and hurtful to those around us. Because we've been born of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the word of God. We can resist the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can avoid causing much damage in our family, in our workplaces, because of sinfulness. We've been set free. 
First John 4, 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Is that encouraging? He who is in you, Christ who is in you, the spirit of Christ who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The evil one, Satan, who is in the world. Remember, Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17. He said, Father, I pray that you don't, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, right? But I pray that you, you keep them from the evil one in the world, that you protect them, that you guard them, that you sustain them. As Christians, we are to be those who are in the world, but not of the world, right? And we have power inside to say no to the world's lures and temptations. First John 5, 4 says that for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. That's the, the evil system of the world dominating our lives. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And lastly, the purpose of Advent is to give us life and to give us love. We looked at this last week and we'll revisit here. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's love. We, this is, this is what love looks like. And we described, we looked at first, uh, Corinthians 13 and we read from the love chapter in first Corinthians 13 and we read a couple of, uh, definitions of love by some other theologians. But John gives us the picture, the portrait of love right here. The father sent his son into the world so that we might live. So that we might have life. Jesus said in John, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it in full. Abundant life. That's God's desire for us. How can we thrive through the Christmas season and not merely survive? How can we thrive through the Christmas season, not be zapped of our life and energy, our joy, our peace, but thrive. We can do that. We can push back on the cultural pressures, push back on all the the pools of the things of this world and slow down and focus on this reality that we are loved by God, that he sent his son into this world. His love, as we talked about last week in verse uh, 17, I believe, cast out fear. His perfect love cast out fear, drives out fear. So the purpose of Advent is to give us life and love, to destroy the works of the devil, to take our sins away. And then if you read a little bit uh, further down in First John 3, he says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. The way you and I can counter love for the world is be filled with the Father's love. Receive his love for us and let it flow through us into the lives of others. Instead of loving the things of this world and being preoccupied with the things of this world, share the things of this world, the goods of this world, if we have them with those around us. Demonstrate kindness and and acts of love through generosity. Focus on the people. And those actions, John says in verse 18 here, um, is, 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 those actions, uh, assure, verse 19 actually says, by this we assure our hearts before him. It strengthens our assurance that we're living and abiding in him. J.I. Packer says this in, in uh, Knowing God. He says that the Christmas spirit does not shine out in Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, not just to their own friends, and what in what whatever way there may seem there seems need and what whatever way there seems need this is the christmas spirit may we move onto god's agenda towards those who are in need and express his love towards them ff bruce says this that the effective the one effective antidote to worldliness is to have one's heart so filled with the father's love that it has no room for any love that is incompatible with that. Remember what John said in verse 16 or verse 15? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Gosh, none of us want that, right? None of us want that. Paul, the Apostle Paul talked about one of his traveling companions named, named Demas at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he said, Demas, he's forsaken me. He's left because he loved the world. He gave up. He aborted the mission because he loved the world. And so the way that we can counter this, this cultural uh, flood of, of worldliness that comes our way during this season as we can slow down and receive and reflect upon the Father's love for us. Behold what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. 1 John 3. And we are. We are children of God. He has made us children of God. We've been given eternal life. We've been brought into the family of God, forever family of God. We're accepted and we're loved. And yet, John goes on and he says, yet the world doesn't know us. Yet the world doesn't recognize us as this. And so, a couple points of application here. And I'm going to 
finish early. Accept the invitation of Christ to slow down and rest in his loving embrace. Accept the image of, accept the invitation of Christ to slow down. Advent is an invitation to slow down. We don't have to, to speed up and do more. We can slow down and we can rest. Come, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary, and take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right now, the, the yoke that's, that's, trying to, that's trying to be put upon us <laughs> through this season doesn't feel very easy to me. doesn't feel very light. And we are free to reject it. And to come into the loving embrace of Jesus and just rest and find strength and refreshing while everyone else is involved in the hustle and bustle of the city, uh, season. Now, and we're also free to enjoy the season, to celebrate. This is like the, the, the most, the, the biggest holiday of the year. And it's not just one day, like it's the whole month, right? American, we, we, we hear Christmas hymns, uh, sung in, in, in the, the stores and there's decorations. It's, it's, it's a huge holiday. And I think it's fitting for us to celebrate and to participate and enjoy the good things in this world. Paul told, uh, Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 6, he says that God has richly given us all things to enjoy. We can enjoy the things, the, the, the stuff in this world in a way that we don't idolize it and we don't um, worship the, the things of this world. We can give God glory by enjoying what he has entrusted to us and we can give God glory by sharing those things. Open your heart and your hand to help someone in need around you by sharing your time, your talent, your resources. This is how we can make Christmas meaningful, worshipful, satisfying, and not get to the end of it with the cleaning up the wrapping paper, taking down the decorations, and just feeling empty inside, thinking, gosh, I wish it was different. It can be. It can be different. Saints, you're free. You're free not to, not to spend more, not to rack up your credit card. You're free not to feel like you gotta get everyone a gift. Right? And, and you're free to do that. If you want to and you have the means to, you're free to be generous and share what you have with others. You're free to slow down and, and say no to some party invitations so that you don't like overdo it. With the social gatherings. And you're free to enjoy them. To go and participate and receive the gift of friendships and family and, and food and gifts and laughter and games and music and all those great things. Lights and, and ice skating and, and all the, the, the symphony and all the, the great events that you can participate in this, in this year. But let's not let the good things of this season eclipse the best and the very purpose, the very reason for this season, namely that Christ has come into this world to save us from our sins, to give us life 
to display his love, to bring us into his family forever, to destroy the works of the evil one.